Hello, folks. Are you seeing me? I seem to have a blank screen. There we go. That looks better. <laughs> okay. Um, good morning, everybody, and welcome to another SACPA live stream event. Um, during this time of social and physical distancing, SACPA believes it is important to keep engaging the public with the public on issues of the day. And in order to do so, we are very thankful for the continued support we receive from the University of Lethbridge, Shaw Spotlight, and the Lethbridge Herald. Today, we are very honored to have uh, Shannon Hansen, who's the CEO at the YWCA. Shannon has over 23 years of experience in supporting and advocating for individuals with complex needs in our community. She relocated to Lethbridge with her family in 2012. Shannon has worked as the director of the McMahon Youth, Family and Community Services and as the Housing First Specialist at the City of Lethbridge and currently she is the CEO of the YWCA. Thank you very much for being here today um, and um, we look forward to your talk. Very good. Well, first of all, I would like to say uh, how grateful I am and the YWCA is for this opportunity to share um, with the YWCA's concerns um, and where we are at, especially amidst the COVID-19 pandemic that we're facing. Uh, one of our main services that we offer at the YWCA is our Harbor House shelter um, for women and all people who are fleeing domestic violence. Um, and that really is why I am speaking today. Uh, for those of you who don't know, we uh, are funded through the province to provide this domestic violence shelter. Um, in the shelter, we are funded for 24 people at any given time, but we max out at 30. Um, in the last statistics that have come out, Lethbridge actually shows that we are the highest in the amount of people turned away from domestic shelter um, per capita in all of Canada. We also have the highest number of domestic violence reports to police. Um, one of the thoughts is that maybe because we are more trusting and people are reporting more to police, which would be a good thing. Um, but our statistics at the Harbor House Domestic Violence Shelter show that only one in six of the people we support ever have communication or report to police for support. Um, what that means to us is Lethbridge is really a hotbed for domestic violence and we really are a place that needs to work hard together as our community um, to solve the problems that we face including um, domestic violence. Um, one of the things I've learned since being in Lethbridge is that Lethbridge is an incredibly collaborative community. Um, by that, I mean that there are a number of social service and non-social service agencies and people who work together um, to support the community and the people who um, need anything at all in our community. Um, I believe that Lethbridge is incredibly resourceful and very, very um, kind and giving and community-minded, which is why I believe we have a good um, shot at decreasing the domestic violence and supporting people through this time. I'm very proud to be in Lethbridge and feel like this is the best um, place to be able to actually solve and get some answers. Some of the barriers that we're finding right now, specifically with COVID-19 for people who may be experiencing domestic violence, um, statistics show that during a significant uh, type of uh, pandemic or natural disaster, that during the actual natural disaster or pandemic, the reporting of domestic violence drops significantly. 
And then we find statistically afterwards that during that time as well, domestic violence actually increased significantly, not only in the number, but also the severity of domestic violence. What that means to us right now is that our reporting numbers and people that we're serving in our Harbor House shelter are very low. Um, what that means for us right now as well is the people who have come through our door are experiencing significantly higher severity of domestic violence than they ever had before. We have people coming to us from ERs and hospitals because of the, of the severity of the domestic violence. Um, because we're not seeing a lot of people come through our door, it's concerning to me. It means to me that there are people behind closed doors, um, behind walls, um, partly because of the nature of domestic violence, but now with social distancing, that even becomes a tougher challenge to find and connect to people who are experiencing domestic violence. We know from historical information, um, such as um, Katrina, Hurricane Katrina gives us a lot of good data that there are more people experiencing domestic violence who have never experienced it before um, happening right now in Lethbridge. Additionally, we know the severity is increasing. Um, the fact that we have lower reporting really concerns me. What it means to me is that there are people who are in desperate need of our services and aren't reaching out. One of the questions I ask is why are, don't people reach out? And what would be the psychology behind that? And um, what's the justification? Um, based on what we know at this point, there are a number of reasons people aren't reaching out. Um, it could be a range of things from that um, people feel like usually during a natural disaster pandemic or crisis, that their needs are not as important, um, that considering all of the needs and troubles that people are facing, they don't feel like their needs actually rise to the top of what's necessary and what's important, um, which is absolutely false. The needs of people who are experiencing domestic violence are always critically important. Um, and we have services that are available 24 seven um, with the intent to support every person. Another reason that we find underreporting, I believe, is because we also have people right now who are um, self-isolating with a lot of times their abuser. Um, as a result, the opportunities for outside people to actually see and have eyes on or hands on individuals who are experiencing domestic violence is significantly less. Children aren't attending school where their teachers and counselors may see. Um, people aren't necessarily going to work where their coworkers um, would be able to see and acknowledge and support through domestic violence. They're also not able to connect with their social supports, their family, their friends. And when people aren't able to connect with their support systems, this also increases the um, level of domestic violence, but the feeling of isolation. So we know that people who are experiencing domestic violence are also feeling more isolated than they would on any given day. Um, I think all of us can attest to the differences that we're experiencing as a society on an individual level. Um, even being able to have a conversation with video uh, made me realize how much I miss communicating and connecting with the, my friends and my support system. And if you take that to a deeper level and try to imagine what it's like for a person experiencing domestic violence, they're not only isolated with the person who's likely their abuser, they're also completely isolated from their natural support system that normally helps them get through. 
and they're also not coming in contact with people who would be able to identify, um, to call out, and to help the person get supports that they need. Um, one of the troubling things during this time as well is we know that children are home with their family members. Um, and I was on a phone call with the other YWCAs in Alberta yesterday, and we were just discussing how um, any marriage or relationship um, dealing with COVID-19 and isolation is trying, um, and any type of family dynamic is trying. When you have kids who are home that aren't necessarily there all the time, that is trying. Um, with the current situation we're in, we also look at not only the loss of job and income, but the threat of loss of job or income. Um, interesting, uh, more statistics, which actually um, seem kind of dry, but with the statistics, we give it a better idea of what is happening now that helps us understand so we can best address. Um, statistics show that it's not the difference between when people lose a job and domestic violence, there's obviously a correlation, but there's even a higher correlation with the threat of job loss, the threat of income loss is more likely to provoke domestic violence than the actual job or income loss. So not only do we have people experiencing job and income loss, which is a huge stressor, uh, the stress of the potential job and income loss is more significant and produces more domestic violence statistically than the actual loss. Um, all of these factors combine make it really, really tough for people who are experiencing domestic violence. Um, so what are we doing and how do we support this? Um, we at the YWCA st still operate our domestic violence shelter. It's 24-7. Um, we're an essential service as identified by the province. Um, one of the things that we've done to try to make sure that we are making an environment that is safe for people um, is we have strongly implemented all of the COVID-19 procedures for safety. We've been working with CDC, with Alberta Health Services, with OHS, to make sure that we're following everything we can to keep all of our clients, everyone who comes through our door as safe as possible. Um, I am concerned a little bit that people would fear coming to our shelter um, for fear of the spread of COVID-19 and whether that would be safe or not. So there's a little bit of messaging I would have, um, and I'll share in a minute, for people who may be experiencing domestic violence. Um, in addition to the services we offer in the shelter in terms of actual roof over the head, bed to sleep on, food, we also have crisis counselors on 24-7. We have a, a call line where people can call um, and receive crisis supports anytime, day or night. Um, we have the availability, if anyone calls and is experiencing domestic violence, we have the ability and resources to be able to have that person brought to us safely um, as quickly as possible. And so transportation to us is also part of what we would do and do do. Um, Something that we hadn't done before is uh, the area that we supported with that transportation service was, was limited to the Lethbridge um, city area and, and a little bit outside of Leth the city of Lethbridge boundary. Um, knowing what is happening with domestic violence, we believe strongly that we need to offer that um, kind of a rescue transportation to us from all over um, the encampment area of 
Lethbridge. Uh, we work closely with the DV shelter in uh, Pincher Creek as well as in Tabor. Um, between the three of us, um, I believe anything close to Lethbridge, um, we should be transporting people to Lethbridge for the support. So we're increasing our services to be able to um, bring people in from rural communities um, where the supports aren't local um, and be able to provide that transportation to us as well. Um, the other pieces that we offer at the YWCA in terms of supports, uh, we have um, outreach workers. So we have um, six total outreach workers who um, will be able to work with anyone who comes into the Harbor House shelter. Typically, the stay in Harbor House is 21 days per mandate for domestic violence shelter. Um, I think any of us who try to think about how stable we would be able to be fleeing domestic violence in 21 days, it's a rather difficult timeline to manage. We do do extensions as necessary, but we have outreach workers who help facilitate um, getting income, changing bank accounts, finding housing. Um, we have uh, an in-house school when school is running to help support children who would be in school and can't access their school. Um, we liaise with the, the school district. We also have um, a counselor who works with children who have experienced or been in a, a home where there's violence at all. And so with those supports, um, we add that to the crisis supports that we do. And overall, we're able to uh, not only support someone to be able to have a shelter to stay in, but also establish what they need to move forward. Um, it takes, if someone has a shared, shared custody of children and they receive the um, child tax credit, it can take three months to change it to the one parent's name which means the income comes way after the 21-day period is over. So we work closely with Alberta Works. We work closely with other um, local agencies to try to make sure resources are there um, and secure networks and support that way. Um, for the most part, we're able to um, work with people within the 21 days, but we do extend. Um, talking about that in a linear manner makes it sound like someone can come into the door, receive the services they need, and move on and be completely independent and successful. The reality of any type of recovery, including domestic violence, is it's often a cycle. So what that means is we'll have people come into our shelter who are fleeing domestic violence. Um, we support, we provide the counseling, the supports, the encouragement, but a lot of times people return to their abuser. And what we try to do also is provide education and information so that people who come in understand the cycle of abuse. It's normal for that to happen. What's important is that we try to continue to be there repeatedly over and over and over to help support people who are fleeing domestic violence. Um, the idea is that at one of those times could be the time of completely breaking away and not returning to an abusive situation. With the level of escalation that we've seen recently, um, we see people who we've supported in the past who are returning to us where the violence is significantly worse um, to the point of instead of walking through the doors of self-referral, they're coming to us via um, a hospital referral after a hospital stay. Um, and so we've seen the escalation through the same client that we've supported multiple times and a significant escalation in the level of abuse. Um, my, like I said, my biggest fear is that we are sitting here with resources and supports to be able to support 
people experiencing domestic violence, but they are not connecting to us for whatever reason. And that honestly scares me, um, just knowing that we are responsible for the domestic violence supports and not connecting to the need right now um, is concerning, which is why I also appreciate this opportunity to get the information out. Um, the methods um, for which people can contact us, right now we have a combination of, you know, if people um, show up and they want to meet with somebody, we can do that. We have um, procedures for um, hand washing, masks, and all of that to come in. Um, but we also have a crisis line that's available 24-7, and with that, the resources to transport. Um, additionally, we're working on some other methods. We're finding and hearing that having the ability to text, um, to be able to contact somebody via text as opposed to phone is what a lot of people need, so we'll be rolling out that option very soon. Um, and, and any other method of communication that we can do, we're looking at some other options as well. Um, and they even to be able to provide supports um, through video for people who don't want to leave yet and just need that extra support more than a phone call. Um, right now, we are operating our shelter. Um, like I said, we have uh, funding for 24 beds. Um, we max at 30, um, but we also only do that in a limited number of rooms. When we, we currently have a total of seven rooms, which means if we limit to the spacing required, we can do two people um, or one family per room. And that works out to be only 14 people that we're able to support. So we're also looking at trying to um, get some quick second stage housing. So people who come in and need housing right away, I'm trying to figure out how we can house them and then make room for more people to come in. Um, that way we're not turning people away. Um, one of the other shifts that we're making in the near future um, is that we currently serve um, people in a communal, it's almost like a dorm style, um, and we have um, a shared bathroom, shared kitchen. We're not able to accommodate and support men who are fleeing domestic violence at this time in our facility. We still provide supports and help find alternate accommodations, but we also recognize the significant need to support men with or without children who are fleeing domestic violence. So um, this message isn't just for women, this is for all people, um, and we are here to support in whatever manner that we can um, anyone who is fleeing domestic violence. Um, Part of our role as well is to provide counseling and supports um, across, like I said, for children who have experienced any type of violence or trauma in their home, and we have that um, available as well. Um, for the most part, we're meeting the needs, and we haven't been too busy to meet the need. We do anticipate a significant spike. Um, our hope is that people contact us sooner rather than later. The sad statistic that we know is that um, through an event such as COVID-19 that we can relate similarly to, the number of deaths due to domestic violence also significantly increases. And that is something that we are determined to do everything we can to stop. And that's why speaking out and trying to get people connected to supports is so important. Um, one of the things I had mentioned earlier is that only one in six people who use our services um, have police involvement ever. Um, the important thing for people to know as well is when they contact us and get the support from the YWCA, that doesn't mean police involvement. It doesn't mean you have to report. Um, we don't report um, 
for you. It's completely up to you. It's confidential. Um, the only thing we're mandated to report, um, like with any other uh, service provider, is if there's an imminent risk of death or threat, and, this, and specifically um, to children especially, then we have to report, but that's just a mandated report that we would have like any counselor or psychologist would have or doctor. Um, for the most part, we're able to keep things um, good, and we support women and um, men through the process of court as well. So we provide the ongoing supports to go to court. We s provide the supports um, also to connect to victim services and to work with them. Um, they're one of our community partners that work well together. Um, for the most part, we're able to, again, meet those needs and support and meet people where they're at repeatedly. So we take the approach of um, no matter how many times someone comes forward, we're here every single time. Uh, because we support children uh, also in our Harbor House domestic violence shelter, it makes it challenging for us to support in the space that we have people who may not come to us sober, but we are working at options and have alternatives for that as well. Um, it's, it's proven that people who are experiencing domestic violence on a, on a regular basis often self-medicate with substances. And so to be able to support somebody um, in their uh, recovery journey as a whole also includes um, that piece. And we're looking at options and we're um, being creative in ways to be able to support people, whether they come to our door sober or not sober. Um, our mandate is to support them. Um, and quite honestly, dealing with um, one thing at a time is going to be our best approach as opposed to trying to have someone be perfect and come through our doors. So we really are expanding our definition and our approach of taking anyone and repeatedly trying to support them. So um, with, with that, I would encourage you all, um, if you're experiencing um, domestic violence or know someone who is or maybe, to contact us and see what we can do to support. Um, we are looking at options of having um, information at various touch points within the community that a lot of people access to where people are able to get the support, find the contact information, and learn how to contact us so that they can actually reach out and get the supports that they need. Um, but most importantly, the information just to be circulated. If, if people that you know um, may not look like they're being abused, that you may not recognize the signs, the signs are often hidden and now we can't even see people. Um, so just the information broadly shared that Harbor House is available, the YWCA is here, and if the information is shared broadly, people who wouldn't normally be identified as needing the supports would be able to get that information and attach to our supports as quickly as possible. Um, once people do connect with us, I talked about our outreach workers, we have follow-up support workers that stay with people as long as they need. So if that includes um, helping con to connect to counseling, helping to get through uh, custody issues, helping to connect with um, police if that's the option and attending court, um, income, we've helped people um, get into school and, and training, um, all of those pieces we're willing and happy to do, and we found that those are necessary in order to provide long-term uh, lifestyle and life-changing opportunities for people who are requiring the supports. Um, we do have uh, a lot of times children who come into our shelter with parents. Um, it is harder, it seems, to decide to leave with a family, with children. Um, we've had a few people call recently um, experiencing domestic violence who have children 
and are reluctant. It's very hard to pick up and leave. Um, and we're trying to encourage safety for the whole family, um, but it really is a choice that has to be made. And the last thing I would leave you all with in this talk is that in order to support people who are experiencing domestic violence, it is so crucial, number one, that information is out there, but also that we work as a community to avoid having a stigma attached to domestic violence. Domestic violence isn't an income or class issue. It's not a racial issue. Domestic violence is a human issue. And as a community, um, we need to be able to support people who have experienced it and survivors of domestic violence in a way that doesn't stigmatize them or make them feel less than. And so if you do know someone, I would just encourage you to be supportive, to listen, to believe, and also to refer to supports. Thank you very much. That was very informative. Um, we already have some questions lined up for you. So I will um, perhaps, um, I'm going to be ruthless and start with my own question. Yeah. Um, in, at, I've, li I've, I've, I've lived in different cities, and I know that some cities have uh, women shelters that, are, that their location is not necessarily um, well known in the community, let's put it that way. They keep mm -hmm. that location fairly secret. Um, that is not the case with Harbor House. How um, does that create extra challenges where um, the abuser may know where mm -hmm. the location is? And how do you deal with those extra challenges? Oh, very good. Um, it, it does create challenges. So we don't publicize the location of Harbor House, but it is fairly well known. Um, we have security measures in place. So, so the way we try to mitigate that, um, we actually have a buzz in entrance to our door. So the first door you can enter into our vestibule, and then there's a, a buzzer that has to be pressed and, and to let someone in. So they would ask, who are you? There's cameras to be able to see who's there. Um, we have at every buzzer point within our building pictures of people who aren't ever allowed or people to be careful of. Um, we do have that happen where um, abusers do um, come and try to uh, approach and to get close to um, the people that they had been abusing. Um, we also have our staff who work in the front who have uh, buzzers on them at all times to be able to ring and LPS shows up. Um, because of the nature of work that we do, we're a priority and it doesn't take long to have um, police show up. Um, we have 24-hour security um, person at the front to be able to keep us safe and to be able to prevent people who shouldn't enter from entering. That doesn't um, prevent people from um, coming outside um, and waiting outside, but we do call um, police and they do help support us rather quickly. Um, as a result, most of the ladies that we support um, feel safe in the building. They feel like they are um, and mostly it's because of the front door area. They feel like they're safe and secure. Um, but I will say also it's interesting because um, a lot of the people we support in all of our programs um, also like to see what's going on. And with the, where we're at, they're able to see and know, and they feel safer being able to watch the road, watch the parking lot, know what's happening. And it surprised me to know what kind of comfort they had in that. The other piece we have going for us is we have multiple programs operating um, simultaneously, which kind of acts as a cover for people who are um, trying to uh, 
access our services. Um, not right now, but typically we have our gym operating. Um, and we are able to have uh, community members coming and going. We have children's pro youth programs. And because of that, it kind of creates a camouflage and a bit of a safety net for the people who are um, finding refuge and seeking refuge in our facility. Thank you. Um, we have a question from Knut Peterson. What financial support do mm. you receive from different levels of government versus private corporate donations? Mm -hmm. So we are fortunate in the fact that in our daily funding, we are, are able to receive funds through um, community and social services um, through the province of Alberta. That funds the bulk of our Harbor House um, operations. We are incredibly fortunate. I've been with the YWCA since only November, and I will tell you that um, we don't, we didn't do a hard push for donations, but the windfall that we receive from the city of Lethbridge is incredibly generous. Um, a lot of what we're able to operate on every year, we wouldn't be able to do it completely without the generosity and the donations from people within Lethbridge. Um, with COVID-19, we, there's a lot of talk about um, different funding coming for shelters, for domestic violence, for women specifically. There's a, it's a priority not only for our provincial government, but also for our federal government. Um, with those, with the COVID-19 dollars, we um, provincially have been allowed to use some of our, use our surplus from two years ago to help accommodate for COVID-19. Um, we didn't get additional dollars. Um, however, just last Friday, we received news that we will be getting some of the federal dollars to help support our COVID-19 activities, which um, includes purchase of personal protective equipment like masks, the eye goggles, um, we need gowns, um, but additionally, the staff that's required. So we received a little bit that will help fund parts of that. Um, we've al we're also working with our current funders of programs who um, fund programs that aren't currently operating due to COVID. So programs that would be shut down, some of our youth programs. Um, so um, FCSS, which is provi Provincial Funding for Prevention, um, they are allowing us to utilize those dollars during this time to help fund some staff and supports. But we really are, um, we're doing what we need to to take care of our clients and our services during COVID. Um, that has meant that we've stepped out just to do the right thing by having 24-hour staff at the front desk, by having the personal protective equipment, by buying all of the cleaning supplies and everything else. Um, and so we are um, now trying to figure out the funding pieces to put in place to actually cover the program that we need to have, in, have implemented. And so we're, we're piecing it together as we go um, and hoping for support. Um, we also received from a local uh, business um, who sells hand sanitizer a donation of 100 bottles of hand sanitizer um, in a time where that's often a high, hot item and a good money maker for them. And so again, the generosity of the community is helpful. Um, and we've received some COVID-specific donations from local community members as well that are designated to COVID. Um, solutions and costs. So that has been what we've been doing so far. In terms of the dollars, uh, like I said, provincially and um, overall that are intended for COVID, we um, are piecing it together, but right now we still don't have a solid um, workout plan. Um, I will say additionally, we also operate women's residence, um, and that's for a place where people can live 
um, who usually have more barriers to traditional living or need the safety and security. Um, we um, house 27 women on two floors with two kitchens and two bathrooms, um, which in COVID is not a safe idea or option. Um, and we've just, um, as of yesterday, developed a partnership with the Soup Kitchen here as well, where they're preparing meals for the women in residence so they don't have to cook in their kitchen. Um, we're not funded right now for staff to be able to cook for our residents. And so that type of partnership and piecing it together is really what we're doing to try to make it work at this point. Wonderful. We just had Bill here last week from oh, the nice. Soup Kitchen. Yep. Yeah. Um, our next question come from, comes from Lori Schultz. When a woman reaches out to Harbor House or arrives at Harbor House, mm -hmm. does your crisis line intake assessment assess for human trafficking, prostitution, slash pimping situations? Mm -hmm. And what are those options? What are the options? Actually, very good. Um, yes, we do have a completely different assessment tool that we use for people who are um, part of that um, whether they're being sex trafficked or part of the sex trade. Um, and with that, we're connected with other shelters um, within Alberta and outside of Alberta so that we, if, if someone in um, Edmonton or somewhere else comes into their, um, their crisis supports and they're experiencing that, we're, we're an option to where people can be placed here in Lethbridge to a, to a different community. Likewise, if people come to us who are being sex, tra sex trafficked or, um, and there's a lot of pimping that is happening in Lethbridge right now. Um, we, we know this is happening. Um, and also women being used as drug mules to deliver drugs. And they're being forced um, almost like an ownership of person type of a situation. Um, if people come to us who are experiencing that, we're able to provide supports. And if the person is willing and wanting to, we're able to help um, relocate them to different supports in a different community or town so that they can break free from the cycle and the, um, the oppression that comes with that type of, of uh, it is kind of like an ownership of person um, and the loss of identity. And so we actually provide those supports throughout all of Alberta and connected to our other um, avenues and supports. Um, I just want to say as well, so the YWCA Lethbridge is connected to the YWCA's in Alberta. Um, we meet weekly um, via teleconference right now, um, and that's Banff, um, Calgary, and Edmonton. But we also have a weekly call with all of the YWCA's throughout Canada. The support system is incredible. And we're part of the Alberta um, Council of Women's Shelters, ACWS, um, which are all of the women's shelters in Alberta. And so we're connected, we're not a standalone agency or operation, we are connected with the resources. And so when people do come in fleeing, um, and they are being sex trafficked or pimped out, we do have the resources to be able to have them access services elsewhere. Wonderful, thank you. Our next question comes from Graham Smith. Do you find the police actually take each report of violence seriously? There's a good old boys club that sticks together, which I have seen on past documentaries on domestic violence. I mean, so, so we are, um, we work closely with police and they designate um, someone who is good at working with domestic violence to work with us. Um, additionally, there's the domestic violence action team in Lethbridge um, and that come, that's a group of all of us who work to support um, 
uh, in the domestic violence area. It includes the Lethbridge Elder Abuse Resource Network was part of that, um, and that's um, LEARN. Um, we have the person who heads it up um, was a police member at one time, and so we have um, intentional relationships built with LPS. What um, I've been, what's been reported to me is that when we're there supporting people who are victims of domestic violence, there's a different report. It actually, I believe, helps um, with that process. The other relationship we have with LPS, however, is that if, if there's a domestic violence call, there's an automatic no contact order in place. In order for a no contact order to be lifted, if the person who is being protected by the no contact order um, requests to have it lifted, they actually have to go through um, a victim awareness session with us where we actually provide information on abuse, what it is, what the cycle looks like, what tendencies are, and it's a full session teaching the person. And then based on our synopsis of how it went, um, we, we put a report in and then the courts can just, it goes back to LPS or RCMP and then goes to the court to decide. So we work closely with um, police um, and RCMP and we do have um, a relationship with them that goes both ways. In terms of being believed, I don't know what our statistics are and what our outcomes are. I would be interested to see and know. Um, I do know that because we have a higher number of DVs reported um, in Lethbridge per capita than the rest of the country, um, I hope that's because it's a trust with our policing system. I'm not convinced that that's the case, um, but I, I would hope so. Um, and I do know that coming through supports like um, the YWCA supports and then communicating with police um, does provide that support to uh, people reporting that would get a different hopefully a better response for them. Well, uh, thank you. And DVs are? Oh, domestic violence, sorry, yeah, thank you very much, yeah. Okay, thank you. Um, we have a question from Trevor Page. I think you've touched on this already, but it'd be good to hear it again. Um, do you think your numbers are down because people are scared ca of catching COVID-19 at Harbor House? Absolutely, I think that um, people are in fear right now in general. If you look at if anybody who studied um, trauma and what that does to your brain, um, I had one of our uh, supervisors who is, has gone to a lot of trauma-informed care training said that the entire world is experiencing acute trauma right now at different levels. You know, we are all responding differently. Some of us more fearful, some of us more determined, some of us, you know, we all are responding in our own ways. Um, if you add that trauma on top of the trauma of domestic violence, I don't think there's a way to separate it. I believe people are not reporting because they are afraid of, of getting sick or afraid of being near other people. Um, and so that's why I think the message is important that we share. Um, you know, we know that COVID-19 is spread through droplets. We know that, you know, we receive information daily. We have procedures in place at the YWCA. Um, we also know that social distancing, masks, and things like that are important. So we have all of those available for um, clients and staff at the YWCA to help prevent the spread of COVID-19. But I do believe that is a, a prevention, that does prevent and preclude people from coming to access our services Absolutely. Thank you. Um, our next question comes from Beth Mundell. What services are there for males abused in Lethbridge? Um, so in Lethbridge, we offer the same counseling supports for males. Um, we offer um, 
we try to come up with creative um, alternative solutions for shelter right now and utilizing partners and other resources. Um, but we, we do have the counseling supports available. We do have the, um, you know, victim services is available. We do have the um, domestic violence crisis counseling available for males and females and non-binary folk as well. So we do have quite a, an array of services. The part that we're limited on is being able to have um, men who are experiencing domestic violence access the living area that we utilize. Um, and part of that um, not only is because of the space we have specifically, but also if you have um, women who are experiencing domestic violence, bringing a male into that dynamic could seem threatening or unsafe to them as well. Um, so we do on a case-by-case -case basis um, try to resolve and find solutions. We're looking at some long-term solutions as well to better be able to support men with or without children fleeing domestic violence. Thank you. Um, our next question comes from Laurie Schultz. When clients return to the abusive situation, does Harbor House have an ability to follow up with them if possible or if needed? Absolutely. So um, some of the, the services we also provide are partner checks. That's a program that we operate um, through our outreach team. And so when people do return and go back to community and often back to their um, abuser, we do and can do partner checks. And that's just to make sure that they're doing okay, to make sure that they're safe and well. And you can do that um, on um, for people who are um, on both sides, right? A lot of times people want to know that the person's okay. Uh, we, if we have somebody who comes into shelter and then their abuser is threatening suicide, which is not an uncommon thing, we're also able to um, work with LPS and do um, safety checks with them, but we're able to monitor situations on an ongoing basis, absolutely. Um, another question from, uh, or a question from Henning Mundell. Do you have any idea what some of the major contributing factors are in Lethbridge? Um, Lethbridge is quite complex, I must say. Um, we, we don't, uh, our social challenges seem to be um, not just with domestic violence, but also with homelessness. If you look at um, uh, the types of social issues that we're looking at in Lethbridge seem to be more amplified than some other areas, and especially per capita. Um, some of the challenges that we face here, um, there are um, a lot of thoughts and theories on what that might be. Um, if you look at um, drugs traveling through or on a highway coming from BC across through Lethbridge, um, Calgary coming down to the US, you know, there's that we're on a crossroad of, of traffic. That's not helpful. Um, we have um, homelessness doesn't contribute to domestic violence, but homelessness is an area where Lethbridge is working on getting some permanent supportive housing in place to help people who have more barriers to housing, whether it's FASD, um, addictions challenges, mental health challenges to be able to support. I think that doesn't help our overall social system and dynamic. Um, in terms of domestic violence, there are a number of factors, including um, there, there's different mindsets and in different places. And so um, we have to make sure that we understand and recognize that it's not acceptable to abuse isn't acceptable. And I think that's something that we have to systemically work on from the ground up at all levels. Um, sometimes um, I think things are accepted as that's just how it is. Um, and that's something I think Lethbridge has a lot of room to grow with, to be able to step out of those mindsets as a whole. And that's not every individual, but there are pockets of um, the expectation and um, devaluing of women in general, I would say. 
And then the follow-up question from Henning is, what mitigating factors can we as a society provide against domestic violence? So it's interesting because there are, there are a lot of things we can do. We, we know when there is domestic violence, we can respond with crisis supports and helping people. Um, but mitigating the prevention is, is, is really, really important. Um, part of it is the cycle. We've seen third generation people come through our domestic violence shelter, which is absolutely heartbreaking. Um, and so part of that comes into the base, I believe, and that comes to the foundation of um, teaching respect. And um, we have two programs right now, um, Girl Space and Wise Guys, that work with youth. And it's creating self-esteem, value, respect, and putting those, uh, those um, important precepts in place that actually are proven to mitigate and counter domestic violence in the future. So I think we have to focus on prevention, not, not just the reaction to the problem. Um, and, I, and that comes from, I, you know, the children are the future, right? And so we just need to keep working towards um, getting that information and those values built. There are good research papers and information available as to what those values are. So we're adapting our youth programming to be able to meet them. In terms of as an adult, as adults in our society, I think we need to stop looking away. Um, I did a project with a lot of ladies who have come through Harbor House, an art project. And we, they wanted to have a page on our slides that said stop. And some of the things they wanted to stop, um, the whole art project was based on gender-based violence. And they wanted to have a, a slide with sayings that people would stop doing. And one of them is, um, it's his right, he's her or she's his wife. Um, some of them are, it's not my problem, it's their family. Um, comments, you know, about that doesn't happen in this type of a family. Um, looking away, I think, is dangerous. I think we need to make sure that we provide support, believe, and not accept any, any level of domestic violence or abuse. Um, I think that looking away is the most dangerous thing we can do. Um, it's the easiest thing to do, and the consequences to our society are tremendous. So that would be what I would recommend. Thank you. And then Mark Goddall, um, which is a very good follow-up on this, um, asks, what should one do if they witness domestic violence? Should we call the police or a harbor house or? Um, so my recommendation, it depends on the severity. Um, so the, lo the level of need and, and also the tough thing about domestic violence is you can bring in supports all you want to for someone and if they don't want to leave a situation, it really is a choice. And that is one of the hardest things for me to swallow and I think for any of us is that people would choose to go back but understanding the psychology of abuse, that's normal. Um, and it's also part of the abuse that makes people feel that way. Who do you contact? Um, I would suggest if there's an imminent risk or danger, always contact police, always. Um, I would encourage, the, um, encourage you to encourage the person experiencing domestic violence to contact the YWCA. Um, I, doing it on their behalf um, could break relationship, I would say. Um, and also ruin trust and ruin opportunity to escape later. But if there's an imminent risk and danger, I would call 911. Um, to get supports on how to support someone, you can call us directly and figure out what can I do to support, is there information, how can, you know, what can I offer, and we're happy to help you help someone. Um, but in terms of, uh, we can't force someone to come to our supports against their will. So we can support you to support someone, and if there's an imminent risk of, of danger, call 911. Thank you.
Um, Laurie Schultz asks, is there funding for clients to access a lawyer for court applications and proceedings? Um, so in terms of, um, it depends on level of need. And so we are working right now, um, and we work with um, uh, the court system as well. Um, and we're working at solidifying that a little bit more. Um, but right now we're able to figure out supports. And we also have through our um, generous dollars and donations from the community. Um, if we have needs that come up for people who need our supports, we're able to access, if there's gaps where it's not funded or somebody's falling between um, where they would be able to access supports um, without cost, we're also able to dip into those funds to be able to support. Typically, we're able to work it out within the court system and with the um, supports that are available. We do partner with Victim Services, and Victim Services also offers court support. And so between the network of supports, um, accessing court with support is an option, and we do connect with and provide those supports. Wonderful, thank you. And then Laurie Schultz, uh, follow-up question. Are there programs for abusers in Lethbridge? And I honestly apologize because I do not know the full scope of that. I do know that we provide the, if, if there's a, um, an issue with safety and there's custody involved, we provide the um, supervision piece where people can come in and do safe visitation um, in our building. Um, and we provide minimal supports. And I do not know, but I should know that answer. And I don't know. Okay. Then there is a question regarding, is the government going to increase funding to assist domestic violence victims in light of COVID-19? Um, right now, I don't believe they are going to. Um, like I said, we had a surplus from two years ago that we had earmarked for some other projects that uh, the province is allowing us to utilize for COVID-19. Um, we're trying to figure out how to utilize that best. Um, I don't anticipate that there that the dollars that were given, it was $5 million provincially that were given um, from the government of Alberta to domestic violence shelters specifically. Those dollars are given out. Um, I know the province is uh, giving money for a lot of things in light of COVID. I don't anticipate any more dollars coming from the provincial government. The federal government, um, we did receive $62,000 from the federal government to help support with COVID as um, domestic violence supports. And I believe that is where it will stop, so. Okay, and then this person asks a follow-up question. Um, the city has allocated extra buildings to assist the homeless. Mm -hmm. Is the same thing being done to help organize keep victims of domestic violence safe and away from their abusers? That, that's a really good question. So part of the um, shelter strategy um, is the work that the city's been doing to have an extra facility to help people um, who are, um, so the city's taking a multiple pronged approach. They're trying to rapidly house and rehouse the people who are on the streets and anyone who is experiencing um, COVID symptoms or diagnosed positive, which isn't the case yet, um, will be in a different facility and supported by a combination of AHS um, and a local service provider. We have the opportunity to, um, if somebody experiences symptoms, be able to send them there. However, we're opting not to do that um, unless it's a perfect fit. A lot of times the people who come to us for supports um, we don't feel comfortable having them go to another facility where there's, it's co-ed, it's not necessarily 
Um, people aren't vetted. Some people there may not be allowed to be around children. We can't send children there. So what we are doing right now is working on an entirely separate space to be able to support people who may have to be isolated. Um, and we're also able to adapt. Um, part of the dollars we're getting from the province, we can have people um, potentially supported in hotel rooms um, by us um, if need be. Um, and we're also looking at additional space options. We've looked at um, rental of different places. Um, we'd considered entire floors of hotels if we could maybe go there where everyone has their own room, own bathroom. Um, the cost to staff that and the cost to do that are pretty extreme without additional funding. We can't do that. Um, we did have an entire plan drawn up to be able to provide that service on a different location just for um, our clients. Um, right now, we're piece by piece figuring it out. Um, my concern is if we don't have additional spaces available, we're going to be turning people away right when we're needing to serve the most people. And that's my concern. Thank you. Um, Laurie Schultz, I'm aware of a recent situation where a woman was taken taking refuge in a city business and was assisted to connect with Harbor House. It was a relief when Harbor House sent a taxi tra to transport her to Harbor House. Thank you. Mm, you're very nice. Thank you, Laurie. Mark Goodall, what is your greatest need at this time? Um, right now, um, if so, so in terms of greatest need, um, I, I talked about space a little bit. We're looking at a, sh a mid and long-term plan for space. Um, right now, if, we, if, if I had a wish list, if we had a place where we were able to have similar to an entire hotel floor with rooms, with bathrooms, and be able to move our Harbor House facility securely there, that would be amazing. Um, that's a complete uh, high expectation wish, but that I think we'd be able to deliver services the best way possible. Um, I would, my next wish and what people can do, we are trying to figure out how to get people into housing quickly when coming into our services and providing the supports. Um, it, it does take dollars, and I know that that's a, it's an easy ask and not as easy give, but um, dollars would help us. Um, additionally, if there are landlords and people who could work with us to house people after coming through um, Harbor House in a way that is um, safe and secure for them, that would be also a great need met. Um, and again, I just want to say thanks to the Soup Kitchen for providing the meals for our residents as well. That was a, a great need we had that was um, fulfilled yesterday. So, Lovely. I don't see any more questions in the queue. Um, I have one myself, if I'm permitted. Um, and it's probably a question that would probably take an hour to answer, but um, <laughs> we have a couple more minutes, so maybe just do your best. Um, how, I mean, VAW or violence against women is really a pandemic in mm -hmm. its own right, mm -hmm. um, especially in Canada, but I would say probably across the world. Often we see the focus on the, the person who has experienced the violence mm -hmm. um, and not so much a focus on how to end the violence. In a, in a, in a perfect world, what would be your views on how to end this pandemic, uh, the, the violence mm -hmm. against women pandemic? Mm -hmm. um, so, so part of my thought, I really um, support um, collaborative, innovative solutions. And just as we look at you know, having a drug court, having an FASD court here in Lethbridge, um, domestic violence court, all of those areas, um, 
approaching things from a restorative justice manner, I think, are always very beneficial. And so I just think of um, uh, if we can approach domestic violence from a, a restorative justice manner where we bring people together, find solutions together, oftentimes there are children involved, oftentimes um, people are torn apart and it's a rough experience. Um, a restorative justice model would allow all parties to come together and actually the uh, consequence, if you call it, um, to having something happen would actually be the, the therapy or the, the resolve of the issue. You know, if you have somebody who grew up in a home with domestic violence and violence um, growing into an adult, they really were a victim sometimes in their own rights, and then they grow into an adult, and all of a sudden they are the abuser and the culprit, when the reality is is there's a lot of therapy and supports that could happen to be able to help resolve that. So I feel like getting to the root of why it's happening is different for every case, but if we could come together um, case by case and have innovative solutions that aren't just punitive but actually are um, that, that restore the, at the base of the issue, um, I think that's what's necessary. Um, and treating it as a holistic uh, picture, not just the, we, sometimes we look at the symptoms of the problem and that's what domestic violence is. So if we go to the source of what that is and are able to establish whether it's self-esteem, whether it, you know there are other barriers, whether it's mental health, um, addictions, whatever it is as the cause, then we would be able to look at, the, at resolving that as opposed to just working with the symptom of whatever the cause is, which is domestic violence. Thank you. Um, Two more, but one is more a thank you from Beth Mundell. Thanks for your informative and great presentation. Thanks, Beth. And then Laurie Schultz, does the Leftbridge Integrated Service Court assist your clients? Um, I, I do have to apologize again. So I've been here since November at the YWCA. Um, I do not know, quite honestly. Sorry about that. That's a great, great question. Good. And then uh, Graham Smith has another comment. That was a great question and a great answer. Um, thank you for your solution and for your hope. Mm, thank you. And I think that's it. I don't see anything else in the, in the queue. So I want to thank you very much for coming here today. Um, I know it's a very busy time. We certainly appreciate you being here. And I'm going to end the live stream. Let's take a few minutes. And so um, thanks, everybody, for participating. <laughs>